0: Welcome to episode 56 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with the director of the UK Hypnosis Academy and the creator of Kinetic Shift, Carl Smith. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis – Or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Change Works is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works, where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Today's guest is ex-military ex-law enforcement and now a leading hypnotist and change worker. He's the founder and managing director of the UK Hypnosis Academy and, amongst other things, specialises in PTSD resolution. He's also the creator of a rapid method of change called Kinetic Shift, which he's taught to thousands of change workers all around the world. Now, I have been warned by many that he can be straight talking, so thank goodness this podcast has an explicit content rating. Welcome to the podcast, Carl Smith. Hello there. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, thank you. Yourself? I'm good, just trying to keep in as much trouble as I can, really. Sounds like a plan. So go on then, why don't we kick straight off and uh, jump straight in. Tell us a little bit about, uh, really, who you are, what you do, and love to know a brief kind of origin story. How would you get started?
1: I think, uh, well, I've done many interviews on this before, and it's it's, it's about... um, 1994 I first joined the military I always wanted to join the army I, was, my, I came from a military background uh, family we were all military and uh, listened to stories so I joined the army and spent just shy of 12 years in the army so I went over to uh, the Royal Artillery spent some time there then I went over to bomb disposal found out that I couldn't figure out trigonometry and got booted out of that and then went over to like the holiday uh, destination type people which is called uh, UK Movers which is like the um, I spent my last year as like the the tour rep, the holiday rep for the British Army, like getting them into sandy places and stuff like that. So I did that. um, But while I was in uh, my last tour in Iraq, I actually applied to go into the police. I applied to go into a police force that's um, predominantly firearms within the UK, which is called the Civil Nuclear Constabulary. And they look after all the nuclear stuff within the United Kingdom, firearms, UK police. And and, um, there's still a mainstream police force, just that they go straight to guns. And whilst I was in uh, Iraq, I got given the notice that I'd actually been accepted in. And um, so on the Monday, on the Monday, um, my last uh, Monday in the army, uh, I was in Iraq. I got flown back on the Wednesday, de-kitted on the Thursday, Um, um, had a party on Thursday night, suffered all day Friday, then joined the police on the Sunday. So from one week, I'd actually She've been in Umkazar, which is south of Iraq all the way then into um, Cumbria, where I was then um, being asked to uh, be act, play nicely and not swear and do all those gentry things that police officers are meant to do um, and then um, then I joined the, the police force and then i did uh, I went through uh, my firearm I went through my police training I then became a firearms in uh, firearms um, authorized firearms officer then went on to counterterrorism teams within the, uh, within the force and then uh, became a firearms instructor. Uh, and then about August 2006, August 4, 2006, there's a newspaper cutting around here somewhere. Um, uh, August 4, 2006, um, a young gentleman um, called Thomas Abbott decided that he was um, he was at a funeral. It was unfortunate, actually. Uh, he'd taken his auntie's car. And what he'd done then is, is he took that car for a spin uh, after a funeral. After And he admitted it, that he'd been on drugs and drink all day. Uh, the levels, I don't know, but I do know that he honked. Hung- of alcohol, he smelled of alcohol when I, when I met him. Uh he basically came crashing into our lives. Um I grabbed hold of the, the steering wheel when he came through the front the front garden into the front wall. Um and I did something that either was stupid or or I don't know. It's one of them re- reflexes. I as he's crashed his car through into our house, into in, invited himself into our house and next door's house. I've run outside. Grabbed hold of the uh, seatbelt, wrapped my hand around it, and then continued to punch him as hard as I can. The unfortunate thing is, when I wrapped my hand around that seatbelt, it then, when it did go into reverse, it trapped me underneath the car, dragging me. They reckon about 60, 70 to 80 yards. Uh, I haven't got the exact figures, but I was dragged to the distance due to the fact that my my trousers, uh, parts of my trousers, my shoes, and my shirt and my jumper were all left up um, up at the other end. And then when he realized he couldn't get out, he then stuck it into forward and then hit me again. Uh, he hit me again and then lost control of the car, lost control of the car, plowed into about four or five cars, then limped the car about two, three miles down the road and then went into to hide him. But what I left behind was was a trail of destruction. Now, I always say this, and this is a very important part and why I do what I do and why we do what we do, is that that event there where my Achilles had been snapped off, my Cacanus had been snapped off, my toes had been broken, uh, fractured of the femur. It goes on, goes on. I actually term that as the worst day of my life was actually the best day of my life. So I actually see that that worst event that actually happened to me turned into the best. Um, what happened then is, is that good old um, pharmaceuticals, the doctor's, and it was only what they knew at the time. They decided to put me on tramadol, pregabalin, and cocodamol and, and a fine mixture. I was still finding that the naughty noises wouldn't go away because of the, there was lots of noises about the wheels spinning. That was what really plagued me. I could keep hearing tyres burning and stuff. At, at nighttime. that was what was waking me up. Also as well in 1998 when I was in Northern Ireland, uh, we got mortared whilst in Newry Police Station, and I'll never forget the bang on the door. The bang, 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 bang that noise there. And that noise there was the noise of everyone being told to wake up, something that had gone <laughs> tragically wrong because what the IRA had done is tried to park a nice big 500 pound bomb in the back garden. Um, and that noise then came back to me, so like that noise from 1998 came back. So the Tramadol, Bragabalin, cocodamol covered up quite well until eventually I started being weaned off of them, and then um. Uh, what happened then is, is that the the onslaught of what we now know as post-traumatic stress uh, then came to light, so the naughty noises then become amplified because the drugs had been suppressing them. Then what happened is then it started to really, really pump itself up, so I then wanted more drugs until it got to the point that I actually, as a serving police officer, threatened my doctor if he didn't give me any more tramadol. And for listeners that have ever had tramadol before, it's a fucking horrible drug. It's horrid, absolutely horrid drug and i was addicted to it um and then what happened was i thought as we all do we all have choices we all have choices the way that we do things it's either you can carry on the way you're doing this mr smith or you can get off your ass and find something and the first thing i found in 2006 was emotional freedom techniques uh, so i started to learn eft um i then got into Callahan's work with tft shortly into 2007 um i was still suffering really badly and it wasn't until i um, I then decided hypnosis on it. It was one of those things that intrigued me. I used to watch, uh, I'm from Great Yarmouth originally. I don't want viewers to take that offense. You know, I don't want you to be offended. I'm from Great Yarmouth. It's not we my We won't fault.
0: hold it it's, against you.
1: It's the cosmopolitan part of Norfolk. Mm-hmm. And. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, um, I used to go watch stage hypnotists in great armor, a big holiday resort. I used to watch it and I used to think, what a load of shit. What a load of shit. You know, there's no way that that man thinks he's got a square egg up his ass. There is no way on God's earth. God. And that was where my interest and my intrigue came into hypnosis at that very early age at probably 14, 15 years old. But it wasn't until I actually watched a hypnosis session that I actually thought, well, hang on a minute, let's have a look at this. And then. I went on a course, a 10-month elongated load of bullshit course and stuff. Anyone, I'm not going to mention it name because they don't deserve it. But, um, yeah, so I went on a 10-month course. Really didn't learn a lot. I learned the I learned the inside leg measurements of uh, Sigmund Freud. Uh, didn't really learn a lot much other on that. I learned a lot of theoretical, no practical, and I knew that. Carl, what
0: were they? What's that? The leg measurements. <laughs> I think he's a 32 short. You see, just, just to point out to the Rapid Change listeners, you know, this is the level of questioning that really gets the detail <laughs> on the things that really matter.
1: Oh, mate. Do you know, you can learn so much on one of those courses. You know, yep. there's so much theoretical bullshit, you know, even about his glasses. Anyway, yeah. phew, diversify. The, um, uh, so, yeah, I went on a 10-month course and I realised that I, I, I have, hadn't still got that skill. So uh, some of you listeners may have, may have um, heard of him before, Jonathan Chase. I went on a weekend course with him. Uh, I think it was called Hypnosis Happens at the time. Uh, I went on a weekend with him. And to be brutally honest, I learned more in two days than what I did do in 10 months. That is a fact. And the, it ignited something in me. It absolutely fired up something that I've never had before, the confidence, the self-belief. So then I opted to go on Jonathan's um, five-day course. And we were all down in Exeter, all lined up, ready to go. Uh, got down there and um, I, started going, I started to learn hypnosis and hypnotherapy with Jonathan, which for those, di- those that have met Jonathan before, very direct approach. And, um, and it worked for me. It worked absolutely you know, amazing for me because the police had offered me counselling before via telephone. So my counsellor, I lived in uh, Suffolk area, Suffolk-Norfolk area, right on the East Coast. And my counsellor was in Bristol. Mm-hmm. I used to use telephone conversations and it just it exacerbated it. And it's got no, I'm not being rude to the counsellors out there. I'm sure there's some great counsellors, CBTs, and all that lot out there. I'm not, not, but this particular way of doing things was shite. And it actually made me much more angrier. In fact, look, one of the questions, and I've mentioned this before in a podcast, is that on the phone, the therapist actually said to me, when you were getting run over, Carl, how did it feel? Well, how do we answer that? And then it was like, well, there's lots of anger in there. No, there's not anger against the drink driver. It's the anger against you, you dick. Because, you know, how do you think it feels like to get run over? John, John's dynamic approach was far more beneficial to me. Um, and then we sat there on day day one or day two. Uh, and a guy called Alex Buxton, who's, who, who lives up in the Nutswood area, was the first person to do it, uh, which I think was the first ever proper session with me. And um, it all just poured out all of the Kosovos, the Bosnias, the Iraqs, the uh, all the other tours that I've done in my career, you know, everything that I've seen, you know, because, you know, with the Bosnia and the Kosovo thing, I mean, that was more of a combat social working thing. We were piecing people together and driving on to the next objective when we were in Kosovo um iraq was much the same really just holding just trying to keep alive to be brutally honest and you know that's what you're doing out there you're not doing anything that's helping the public oh shit did i just mention something political then you're not doing anything to help the public you're just doing it to look after a pipeline Uh, um you're looking after yourself so the the thing is is that um you know it's all about self-preservation everything that i would built up over those years my military my policing experience and being run over all decided it wanted to come out in, in in one big thing and um for i think it was nine hours there's a guy called paul dawkins who's uh, who worked with uh, john he sat there with me for nine hours i just sobbed my heart out and literally crying laughing crying laughing for nine hours i was drinking beer in the bar laughing and crying at the same time everything and um that was the moment that he that really fired me up of this stuff is powerful This stuff is really powerful, which then led on to just what you see nowadays, just somebody who's just, I I, I, I just love what I do. I eat, breathe and shit and stuff to be brutally honest. If he was to cut me open, it would be a pocket watch and, um, and uh, that would be it, you know, and, and that's why I love doing this because I know how profound it was in my life, and I love to deliver that to to people that are sat with me as well, including students that I teach, and including the people that come into this very office and sit with me to change their lives.
0: Well, it, it, it for sure comes across the passion as you talk about it and, and the very personal journey. And you know, I'm always amazed that a number of the people guests I've had on the podcast or often have at various different levels of dramatic. Um, personal change stories that have really helped ignite that passion. Um, one thing I'm curious about though is you mentioned, um, and I don't want to turn this into kind of, you know, this, uh, you know, counselor bashing or bashing or knocking other therapies or therapeutic approaches, but I am curious because things like EFT and TFT are often hailed as being very direct methods for clearing up, you know, PTSD and whatever. But you, you'd had that and that hadn't worked for you to the level of hypnosis. What was the difference? for you
1: okay so i personally feel that eft and tft have a place in life i felt that they were superficial in mine they were superficial in what i was doing i had people that were using eft on me so it wasn't just a case of i was just doing it myself i had people doing it for me but it still didn't really uncover what was really going on it may have dealt with little hot spots yeah. There and then. It dealt with what was going on there and there. But it didn't actually uncover what happened that day with Alex that, that, that stayed with me. And but I think um I think EFT, TFT were, were superficial. It's not to say that they are uh counselling. Um I, I went through many forms of counselling when I was in the military. And when I was uh, in the police, obviously, after the accident, you know, when when we were in the military, you know, the usual, and for those people that have ever served will, will know this as well, is that many moons ago it used to be a case of giving a crate a lager and some old boy to tap to at the end of the corridor. You know, that was the score. You know, then you knock shit out of each other. That, that was exactly what happened. And to be quite honest, it's changed a lot, but they still have decompression nowadays where you can go get drunk and go knock 10 bucks of crap out of each other. So lots of changed in the military. So, um, yeah, on that, on that note is, is that um, – you know, it's it's you know, the cancer side of things did not work for me. CBT, it actually exacerbated the problem, to be brutally honest. Now that's not to say that the techniques are wrong, it's to say that the the, the people uh, that were sat in the opposite chair were wrong. Um, that's my personal opinion on that. TFT and EFT, I don't think they did much for me. They they did hot spots, but it didn't really uncover it. Not like what happened that day with hypnosis and
0: hypnotherapy. Well, I think it, it begins to nudge towards something that I'm quite fascinated by, which is sometimes you get You can get lots of people who do the same techniques. And if it were just about the effectiveness of the technique, then everyone should surely get the same level of results. But the reality is is that different people are getting different levels of results using, in theory, the same technique, which implies there's more to it than just the technique. There's almost an indefinable, whether it's intent, whether it's the skill of the practitioner, the other things about change work that, transcend technique that just can't be taught
1: i think i think intent is one of the most important things and the other element as well is intuitive being intuitive in a session i mean you know we, we all see that where, and still some schools and some academic, uh, some training schools teach scripts now i understand when in a training environment with a tutor that you use a bit of script to get the verbiage the time that's all well and good but when you're working with a, a, a human a human being in front of you, the only way to gauge how your work is working is by looking at that person, being intuitive, being, in, and having a mindset of, I'm now going to help this person as much as I can and guide them the right way and allow them to go on their own journey. A lot of change workers think they make the change. It's like bullshit. It's that the person that makes the change. I'm just a third party. I'm just somebody that's here to help mm-hmm. out. And and the key thing about that is, is that intent and intuitive behavior there are there are things, and I'm sure that the elder that the seasoned members of the, uh, your listeners as well would get get this that you intuitively know or you know from gut if something is not working or doing you know it's going the right way, you change attack and do different ideas, and that's the idea behind me as well is that you know uh, when we're talking about techniques that I use is that it's not just a one wish one day. it's not just one thing that you're looking for, it's about coming in at one angle, another angle, and and just working with the person in the chair and coming out it's an investigator's role that's mm-hmm. what, I, what i teach my lot you're an investigator your job is to investigate how the best way to form and, and, and sort this case out this and i don't mean like a cold story like you know like in a police, but you are actually looking for the best avenues to come up with the result and then and then go from that way
0: It kind of reminds me of something uh, early on in one of the the earlier episodes. In fact, it was an episode that it was this episode that caused the Rapid Change Matters podcast to upgrade their status to an explicit rating, which was the good old Bob Burns. Oh, Uh, uh, yeah. Well, once or twice, he he may have said a a few things and and obviously the upgrade happened to the explicit content rating. But it it kind of reminds me of something that he was saying, which he said, you know, some people think that as an experienced, seasoned professional that, you know, we make less mistakes than everyone else. He says it's not true. He says we make just as many mistakes. The only difference is our our ability to alter course and notice that we made the mistake gets better. So we're quicker at picking up. Oh, that's not working. And let's do something else.
1: Absolutely, and that's the key thing about it is that you never know where you're going to, what's going to happen. Now, somebody said to a guy called Richard Barker, who lives in America, ex police officer, oh, sorry, ex soldier, ex police officer, now lives in Florida, does lots of stage shows and stuff like that. He said to me the other day, he said, "Carl, how how we managed to travel the world teaching just magnetic fingers?" And I went, "It's got nothing to do with the ritualistic induction." I said it's about the, my intent, the way that I do things. It's my intent, the way that I teach people, the way that I work with people. That's, that's what does it. It's got nothing to do with that, uh, with the with the induction itself. It's all to do with the the way that I get somebody to believe that, that they've gone to hypnotize into hip their their hypnosis, and and then use as many different strategies as I can to just literally negotiate with them. And that's entirely what, that's exactly what I do. Most people seem to go, yeah, just do magnetic fingers. Well, we all know that the ritual's a load of shit anyway. It's nothing to do with the, it's got nothing to do with the ritual. It's, that's just a a modus modus just to get somebody there. But um, it's about, it's about having intent and many different ways to look at different angles and come in different ways and, you know, and just negotiate. That's the way I look at it.
0: So it's interesting because it's kind of like the, the, the presentation around it is just as important as the actual thing. And one of the things you said in the rapid fire round, and by the way, if, if people aren't sure, what's the rapid fire round? Scroll down, scroll down underneath this episode or on the rapidchange.org site, you will see the rapid fire round there. But one of the questions I asked you, Carl, was can you think of a concept or an idea that you used to believe was true, but you subsequently changed your mind about? And uh, can you remind us your, your answer to that?
1: Well, when I first started out, I firmly believed that the uh, induction of hypnosis was caused by the ritual itself, and I don't think it is. I really don't think it is. I think it's about uh, the human interaction that's going on there as well, about the the pre-talk, as we tend to like to call it, the pre-talk nowadays, you know, where what happens prior to the person sitting down, my conversation with them, the advertising that I do, and it's about when they sit down. And, you know... It goes back to hypnosis and the state of eyelids. Most people you know, that are classically trained would think that you've got to close eyes and do this type of stuff. When I I don't, Uh, most of my work's eyes open. But I actually used to think years ago it was all around the induction, and it's not. It's got absolutely nothing to do with induction, absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with magnetic fingers, magnetic hands, or whatever else you're using. Mm. And I think the nonverbal induction explains that quite well, the nonverbal induction actually just sitting there and, and watching pe- people and, and going on. You know, and NLPers call it uh, pacing and leading and all that type of stuff. But I think the intent, the absolute pure intent um, of the hypnotist and the way that the person's come in that room, the way that you set the mindset before they walk in your room and your mindset are key. That's the only thing.
0: No, I've, I've seen that stuff. My... you doing the nonverbal induction. I think that, and that, I have to say, of all the nonverbal inductions I've seen on YouTube, yours was definitely the most interesting the most impressive there's one which kind of tickles me and i I will share it i'll try and dig it out and share it on on the group um but there's a guy and he sits there and he says something like this and and you'll laugh because people then miss they think it's about the induction they miss the framing of it uh because he sits there and he goes okay so i've got bob here for example i'm making up the name it's not bob burns we should change the name to trevor or something we've got trevor here you know, and in a moment, just just confirm, Trevor, we've never met, have we? No, haven't met. In a moment, Trevor, I'm gonna look at you and I'm not gonna say anything. And when I do, Exactly. You're gonna you're gonna relax deeply into a trance. Okay. So are you ready for that to happen? I won't say anything. The whole thing <laughs> And then the comments underneath were things like, Wow, he just looked at them. Didn't say anything. Yeah. I've tried looking at my wife. She's not going in. What am I doing wrong? And that they're missing, that there's a whole heap of yeah. other stuff based on intent and context and framing that, that, that's happening well before that.
1: Yeah. So what happens on that video, there was a young, there was a young pup that night. Actually, I'm sat in that room as we all know. And um, uh, that night, a guy, you see in two videos, they're very similar in the way that they make up the room and stuff. That guy there only came along to watch his friends. So he was sat at the back while I was recording the the first session and then he'd never experienced hypnosis before. And you're absolutely right that my pre-talk, my pre-framing had actually happened while he was sat in the chair. And also as well, if you notice, I always wear hypnotist T-shirts. I always wear hypnotist T-shirts because it's a pre-talk in itself. You're going to get three people when you're wearing a hypnosis T-shirt. You're going to get the ones that say, show me something straight away. Those that say, get get away, you're not showing me anything. All those ones that say, show me something but then they walk off when you start and then they come back two minutes later. You're always going to get those three types of people. And that in itself, the t-shirt wearing a t-shirt starts the process, that intrigue um, of what, what could happen. And it's exactly what happened that night. Merely the nonverbal. I'd set myself, you are going into hypnosis. He sat down in the chair, didn't realize once I'd pre-framed it, it then started to work on it. And I I firmly believe that even though we take it to uh, a, a real extent on that video, that, that actually should be happening with people when they're sitting in your chair. Your intent should be you're going in. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It's basic, it's basic physics that we're looking at. You know, if we're looking at it as two energy models, and I don't want to go down the unicorn stroking route, but on the same token, if we do look at energy in way of basic physics, mm-hmm. results, that's where we're at that. Mm-hmm. W-
0: would you say, and I, I think sort of if we take this even further, I think there's a lot of people that sometimes go on hypnotic trainings and – They see very quick demos, but then fail to put the framing or the context around it. So, for example, someone will see like a quick demo of someone getting sorted with something straight away. But then and then go back and try it with someone. And maybe it doesn't quite work as well. And what they're missing is this framing of, well, hang on a second. When I saw it demoed, it was day three of a training and the people that were there had paid to come. They were therapists. They've also got an invested interest in it working. And they've already had three days of fractionation, of demonstration, right? So I make that quite clear on on all of our trainers as well. I make that very clear that that, that compliance
1: is one of those big things. And when, when people come on courses with me, and I know that anyone that's listened to this has been on my course, the first thing that I say is I'm not teaching you. I've got you here to learn techniques. I'm not teaching you techniques. I'm teaching you how to develop your confidence, That is the key primary thing that I'd say straight off. You may be here to do rapid inductions, kinetic shift, parts therapy, whatever you're doing, but I'm actually teaching you to develop your confidence. That's the key thing I'm going for, not just just technique. Teach technique. It's developing confidence in people. And also as well, you're absolutely right. So to to come back on on that is that by developing the confidence in them, they will be able to perform anything, and it comes back to us, the the seasoned therapists, anything. They'll be able to do and come in at any different angle that they choose to it's not just about teaching you know just a single single um scripted uh, idea it's about developing confidence so they can go away and utilize everything that they learned prior with more confidence more belief that's the way i look at things that's the way i do it and that, then that then it just has a knock-on effect
0: so you have just mentioned, uh, Carl, uh, obviously teaching kinet- kinetic shift. Um, are you able to, to give if there are people? And I find it hard to believe that there might be people in the industry who haven't heard of kinetic shift. But if there are, could you give them a quick kind of synopsis? What is it? How, how did you come up with it?
1: Kinetic Shift it came about working with Catherine Temple, who we both know. I sat there in a, in i I'd, I'd already been to Las Vegas and I'd already met some, of you know, and I've already been on lots and lots of trainings and stuff. And it, it was an accommodation and I make no bones about it. Nothing's new. There is nothing new. This shit's all made up, as Melissa says. This, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, um, bringing together techniques that I've learned around the globe. There's bilateral stimulation, there's modality work, um, there's mind-body reconnect, so it's very uh, energy-based as well. So it's like, it's, it's about, uh, it's, it's predominantly energy-based to be quite honest. Uh, so modality is energy, uh, bilateral stimulation, uh, confusion techniques, um, and um, some techniques to avoid avoid, so as in to put back some nice stuff instead of the old crap that was in there before. So um, and that is the shortened version. I'm probably not giving it justification because there are people out there that have done it and they're getting tremendous results with it. Mm. You know, they are getting tremendous results with it, and some don't. And I, and, but I teach that on the course, that if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, then try something else. But, um, but it, yeah, it came about really from working with um, who inspired me to do this type of stuff. Um, obviously, Bandler's, uh, some of Bandler's ideas and techniques. Uh, David Schneider, um, another great influence on my work. Today, Melissa melicity's um, you know they've been on this podcast before but they are prominent names mm. but um yeah I've got ideas for those and literally i came up with the seven stages and put them together they are the same as what nlp is mastering other people's excellence and that's what it is and showing people but then coming back to that the reason we do a two-day course is to boost and elevate the confidence it's not just about technique and anyone that's listened to this podcast will know that that is my opening gambit what we do is we teach people those seven stages is a kinetic shift and then what we do then is we develop their confidence around that which is the primary reason for what we do
0: so i'm I'm interested because you said obviously we know that you you, listen you've trained thousands of people kinetic shift has taken you all over the world um i'm curious are there any differences culturally speaking as you've traveled the world in the way um different nationalities respond to learning kinetic shift or respond to learning hypnosis
1: I think this cultural. Yeah, I think when you when you travel the world, you get lots of cultural differences. I mean, uh, like Dubai last year um, to teaching in Germany, Northern Europe, and around those ways over no, to the Americas. And I think as I think it's uh, it's one one thing I have noticed is that in the UK we have not been subjected to hypnosis in early age in Europe um, and America. It's like prom night. They're dealing with this at 13, 14 years old, you know, even younger. It's seen as a, as, a, as, a, as a very positive way. But in the UK, we're just starting to develop that. And even still, stage hypnosis is still a poo poo word in England, you know, due to the fact that it's. Uh, there are some great stage hypnotists. There's not against those, by the way. It's about our education mm-hmm. of about how powerful this stuff is. Um, but yeah, I have noticed differences, especially working in Dubai, where it's. Um, the, you know they you know the, they're a lot more slower methodical with the way they're doing things and you know and, and I get that and they're learning they're, they're starting to to use hypnosis more. Um, Northern Europe, I found it's like using a sledgehammer with some cases. I think that you know I think maybe they old, I don't know I don't know really. And I'm not I'm, by the way I'm not picking absolute people on this. I'm just pointing out that I found that in Europe it's much more direct, much more affirm. Mm. I mean I lived in Germany. For nine years and they are very direct and very uh, there is no, no grey areas uh, and I think that that direct approach falls in very well with the cultural system. England we're still knocking on the door even though in our communities we sit there talking about hypnosis we're still not educating the masses. Mm. Too many therapists talk shit with each other in shitty Facebook groups and doing all their little crappy things when they're not actually out there educating them, the most important element of um, what we do and that is the general public. Um, so we're still educating in England and um, in America I find they just love it. They're just they're just brought up with the stuff. You know, it's just one of those things. Oh, you're a hypnotist, are you? You know, and it's it's normal. Whereas in England, it's like, oh my God, you're a hypnotist, really? So I think the approaches I think in America is very in the Americas I should say it's very much more open. Over mm-hmm. in the UK, we're very closed, in my personal opinion. Uh, in you know uh, Northern Europe, Europe Europe is very direct uh, and uh, no grey areas. As you go into the Middle East, I think it's uh, it's still a learning environment down in the in the Middle East. You know, they're still learning. It's still very much uh, they're still trying to find their feet. You know, probably years have not been not mm-hmm. doing this. Either. not saying that because there is Beryl Kumar has been over there for 20 years doing it, but she's been educating people for over 20 years about the power of what does. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, no, it's it's interesting, and I, I, it was it was a question that that, that came to me, and I thought oh, that would be really interesting to, to explore with you, um, Tell tell me because obviously this is the rapid change matters podcast and it's born as we've spoken previously about my passion that change doesn't have to be that age old model you know five hundred to six hundred hours of talking therapy with a man stroking a goatee beard um, revisiting the past Um so can can you could you share with our listeners a couple of sort of real case studies that would demonstrate you know people coming in and leaving seeing you but, but, but a transformation has happened something rapid and lasting has occurred
1: i think i think what i'd like to do is in on you can subscribe you do you want i don't mind uh, on my youtube channel at uk hypnosis academy there's several videos on there where i actually make the changes there and then it's all well and good coming up with anecdotal um type scenarios but what i would like you to do is go over to the youtube channel and what i would like viewers to go look at in one video in in, in uh in full is is my post-trauma removal it lasts for 15 minutes you'll see on there um, and i think that shows how powerful it was there's a young guy called andy ex fire ex paratrooper um, he was on a course with us and on day one he was very much yeah nah, this hypnosis work doesn't work he came on a hypnosis course because i think he was looking for the golden the golden fleece i, I, I you know on my book launch for my post-trauma book um he was sat there post it's not going to work hypnosis won't work and he came on the course uh, to learn and develop, uh, being ex-military and all that. And uh, when he sits there, I literally uh, use the induction to get him in, and then I want viewers to make up their own minds. In 15 minutes, we were able to release, you know, uh, I'd say 80% of the trauma. I think if you spoke to Andy, I think he'd say as well it was that, that that little bit left, but we'd removed a mass amount. And I think, for me, that removing that post-trauma on camera was very, very important to me. Um, yeah, you know, and, and fears and phobias, and I think um, I think the po- my my life is all about post trauma. To be brutally honest, I don't. I mean, I have got results on YouTube with weight loss mm. um, and, and other things, but my my, my life is all around post trauma. That's where my life, and my um, my love is for, in this profession. And um, yeah, I think that that one video really brings it all home. Really about why we do this. Um, and I would say to viewers, go watch it. It's only 15 minutes. 15 minutes of your life, you probably won't get back. But it's a case of it's very, uh, you'll see me work how I work. And I think that was the most the most uh, warming moment I've had for a while, actually. Um, I get results. I get people coming in and we get anxiety removed and we deal with that. But Post-trauma is where I sit and where I love doing things. And if you, know, if you go to my channel, you'll see lots and lots of people getting change work done with them there.
0: Well, we'd love to, to, to if it's all right with you, to put a link to your YouTube channel underneath the episode. But also yeah. maybe to even embed that clip uh, underneath your episode, the one that you're talking about, so that people can yeah. uh, underneath uh, tune in and, uh, and listen to it straight after listening to this uh, interview. Yeah.
1: I think, I think the, main, the key thing about that video as well is that I don't say a lot. Because as a therapist, you know, some therapists are told to talk and talk and talk and talk and ignore the client. Basically, that's what you're doing. You're not taught to ignore the client, but you are actually ignoring them. And in that clip there, you actually get to see where you just guide that person to the right place and allow them to make the changes. That is the key fundamental part about that video. So, you know, um, making changes, you know, big changes. It's those things there. Even on the, the last KS course in London, um, in may 2018 so yeah last month um when 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 we did that we had a, a guy on there um we've just published the video in the ks group where um, he was involved in a fatal car incident hmm. um years and years and years he had um, been involved in um cognitive behavioral therapy eft tft that type of stuff and he sat in the front of the class a very 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 brave person sat at the front of the class and we dealt with it there and then did i deal with all that no that'd be stupid of me to say that in any case But on the same token, did I make the mass, you know, the big transition? Yes. And that was very warming as well to watch as well with that trauma release on that.
0: Yeah, It's interesting. And I think there's a really good observation that you've made. And it's certainly I I share this uh, insight as as I've become more experienced in this field as well, which is the people that seem to be really good at this. They kind of do less. Yes. yes. There's less chatter. There's less talking. There's less of the, um, dare I say the phrase, verbal masturbation. Yeah, sort of no, the, the, the speaking well, for speaking's sake.
1: Yeah. And I think I've developed my, my the way around the shift. The reason I've done that is because um, when I've, I've listened to some of the, the you know, counselling, CBT and type effects, which don't work in stage. But when we, look at, when, we, when we look at the way that the brain's changed over the past 50 years, the CBT and counselling had their time. The, the way that the brain now operates, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, we were using abacuses. Now we give our three-year-olds an iPad. We have dramatically changed, and that's what's not changed within CBT and counseling. And what happens now is, is with a hypnosis, I've learned to just shut up, put somebody, get somebody into the right place so they can go into their hypnosis, and then just open up the floodgates by just saying certain things like, that's it, now. And just allowing the subconscious to know it's, it's safe to do whatever it needs to do now to let that scared child, that scared, you know, youngster and just let go, and that's exactly what I do. Um, some people may disagree with that, but it works for me, you know. Mm. You no, know, not all, you know, nothing fits everybody, but it works for me just by inducing that hypnosis with the person, getting them to get where they need to, and then literally just pointing them in the right direction and just – negotiated and supporting them on their way and that's exactly what happens in that 15 minute video if you watch it it literally is just pointing people i'm not sitting there telling them what to do i'm not sitting there jibber jabbering away i'm not sitting there with this bit of paper talking about unicorn stroking and waterfalls and whatever else god knows going on in the background and um you know it's it's that's important to me that that element there
0: which hand would you stroke the unicorn with is it the left or the right Mm. for maximum results
1: Mm, I'd go for a right one. I'd go for a right stroke.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is that is that because it's, it's the dominant hand typically, yeah. or uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Depends how
0: hard it one is Yeah, Blenheim published a, a very interesting paper uh, on on the hand for stroking unicorns. Uh, it's, it's, it's the research is sound. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good. I, w- I would concur. Um, on, a, on a totally different note, Carl, um, tell me because you've used the word intent a number of times uh, during the, this conversation and. Like, how would you define intent? What is intent?
1: My, The way that I see it is, is that when somebody comes into the room, when somebody, uh, when I'm working with anybody, when I'm training with anybody, my mindset is, is that that's going to happen. Is that arrogance? I don't think so. I just think I have it in my head that this is going to work, that I, whatever I'm going to do now is going to is going to work with them. And I don't mean I verbally say that. I don't come out and say, "What well, you'll fuck my son. Uh, it's literally, I am... One hundred percent focused on that person, and focused on what I've got to deliver. That's my intent. Um, and I think that by thinking it, being it, it, ha- it then becomes it. Yeah. I think if you, you know, if you if you're pissing around trying to find the next best technique, and you're sitting there faffing around in your own little sessions, and it's not quite happening, are you focused enough? Are you in the right mind frame? That type of stuff.
0: For That's sure. where.
1: So yeah, it's about being absolutely focused. And my intent is literally, we're going to make some changes. We are now going to do this now. And that's
0: it. No, no. Carl, when we did the rapid fire round, um, the last question I asked you, and it's the last question I always ask uh, on the rapid fire round is, what what do you believe is the biggest misconception people have about the work you do? And I think you had a really interesting response, which was people kind of see you as a rapid change worker, you know, this rapid fix kind of guy, but that there's more to you. And I'm wondering whether you could elaborate on not just what that is, but also why you think people have associated you in this way.
1: I think when I first came on the scene, it comes back to being a, a, a mini not literally, no, I nearly said something, a, mi- a mini version of Jonathan. Okay, when, I came, when I came out, when, when, I was, when I was working with Jonathan, and obviously I'd spent a lot of time with Jonathan, it was a very Almanic view, which was like bash, bash, bash. Um, and there's no wrong with that. I'm not slagging John off before everyone goes running off with their little rabbit unicorns telling him that I, have, that I haven't. Um, uh, it, it it's about most people thought I was and um and I felt that you know with my ego in the way and I'll be brutally honest is that oh yeah fuck it you can do You, you should be able to do it just in one or two sessions and I still firmly believe you can but not with everybody. So what I had to do is develop myself, and that became in the development scheme for myself, is that I was all well and good with this fast, rapid stuff, bish, bash, bosh, that's brilliant. And I'd watch bish, bash, bosh with other people. That's brilliant. However, I then learned it's not for all courses. It's not It's not the way that we can do things. And also as well, by even looking at the Ericksonian thing, and by the way, I don't really buy into this Elmanic um, Ericksonian thing because I see people go, well, I want to be like Merylton Erickson. I want to be like Dave Elman." Well, they're gone, unfortunately, and you have to be yourself. So you can only model what they did. And um, I see so, so many people that just want to be them um, and work, um, you know, you know, down to the nuts and bolts of the way that they did things. And um, I, I just, I just picked up those elements of Ericsonian work, and then started to work with those as well. So I was looking more at my semantics, my linguistical patterns, and stuff like that. Most people would say I've got a potty mouth and that was that's a load of bullshit but on the same token um yes i did i started to look at the arizonians you know and 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 uh, the mindset that way so yeah i have slowed things down do i still do bish bash bash, bosh because i advertise myself as that people come over for the bish bash bosh um i work with lots of um, military and emergency services personnel who just want that Mm. they want service they want that service but then i have to um there and then with my skill set manage it if it is the right approach for that person while they're sat there then um so yeah so i've developed myself and i've been on many many different training programs of you know i travel around the globe doing this stuff so i'm very lucky you know i've made a, a professional you know i've made myself a career um, you know, in doing what I do and, and love what I do, and you know, even like watching Mike. And you know, for the viewers, if you haven't been on Mike's um, online course, it's well worth it. Just learning stuff like that, learning yeah. off of Mike. He's a great mentor to me.
0: We're talking about Mike Mandel for those of you who are Mike, uh, yeah, Mike Mandel. Yeah. Yeah. If,
1: and if he is listening to this, stop touching yourself, Mike. all right? But the thing is, is that, um, but you know, Mike's a great mentor to me. He's a, he's he has been great. And um, listening to the way he does things, and it slowed me right down in some respects as well to accommodate other people.
0: Mm. That's,
1: i still firmly believe that you can make quick change but uh you know you have to it's measured by the person that's in front of you
0: yeah and and i think that's that's interesting because i've i you know look as the rapid change works uh podcast you know I, i'm a firm believer that rapid change can happen um and i think i would yeah. even argue that when change happens it's almost always quick uh what for me sometimes can take a little time is just finding the peace the right yeah. piece to change. It's like a jigsaw. You know, you're scrambling around for it. It might take a while to find it, but once you find it, you just clip it in. Yeah, yeah. You know. And, I,
1: um, and it comes to what we spoke about earlier, about, about you know, working with the client that's sat in front of us and having the intent and, the, and, you know, having those different approaches that you can look at. I mean, I can sit here all day long and get rid of a field phobia. That 15-minute um, uh, post-trauma video shows it quite quickly that in 15 minutes we have a mass result with post-trauma. But was it really all out? And I don't believe it was, even after that 15-minute video, even though it was very, very powerful, that video. The, the element was is that did we still have to do something after that session? Yes. And I wouldn't want client- er, people to not think that, but there wasn't as much. And I think Andy would say that 80% was ripped out on that session. There was just mm. that neat little part left. It was about what do we do to negotiate that last moment.
0: Um, Carl, on a different note, um, people, my listeners will often know that I ask for book recommendations, you know, two or three books that have been standout for you in terms of the work you do or places that you would recommend other people go to um, as well. You've mentioned one already on the rapid fire round, but have you got a a couple more? Um, Well, at the
1: moment, I'm having a bit of a change in mindset. I mean, The Emotional Brain by uh, Joseph uh, Ledoux, that's a great book um obviously um joseph campbell hero with a thousand faces i mean that's you know that's just fascinating that and at the present moment in time i'm looking at i'm just i'll just turn my back for a moment i'm looking at uh there's a lot of peter levine's books as well you know like uh, is it waking the tiger i think it was uh, let me just find it um i don't know i'm looking at my bookshelf that's behind me on how many books i'd like to sit here and 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 point out to you, but I think a lot of them. Are, uh, I'm actually looking at mesmerism at the moment, early mesmerism at the present moment in time, and I think it, you know I think that's a key thing that, that people need to look at because I think Rick Collin would say that we're coming back on mesmerism at the present moment. So I think there's so many, mate. There's so you know, like, I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of books behind me. Anything from business to mesmerism, really. But the emotional brain, Joseph Campbell, mm. and any anything on. Uh, or mesmerism really is where i'd guide people to and do you know what while we're here get yourself a good business book as well for crying out loud let's educate the masses let's talk is you know let's get hypnosis and hypnotherapy or change work whatever we're doing out there more.
0: yeah 100% because i think there is a real shame there's some really talented change workers that are sitting there in empty offices with no clients to see
1: yeah and they all keep chasing like course after course after course and it's so debilitating you know you sit there and think why don't you just strike up your YouTube channel and just educate the masses?
0: Mm.
1: Let's educate everybody about what they are doing. You able to do it when everybody works together. That's I do this every bloody day I say this. Do you get your YouTube up and running and show people what you can do? That's exactly what you do. Stop going on the next Namby Pamby course, this, that, and the other course, or oh, unicorn stroking course for beginners and all that type of stuff. Pack it in and start selling yourself. Start telling people what you can do. And I think that's the key element. That that boosts confidence in itself.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's just really, really cool advice. Um, Carl, tell me, when people are listening to this and they want to check you out and uh, get in touch or maybe book on one of your courses, where can they go? How can they get in touch?
1: You can have a look at UKHypnosisAcademy.com or you can have a look for CarlSmithHypnotherapy.com. Um, I, I'm not one of those trainers um, that, um, if those who can, can can those who can't teach i do both i have a, a thriving business in the hypnotherapy in my clinic and i also have a training in academy as well so uk okay, hypnosis academy dot um, com and carl smith hypnotherapy you can find me on youtube facebook twitter god knows where else really
0: fantastic well we're going to put all of the links and also that clip that you mentioned as well uh, yeah, underneath on. the episode guys so it'll be nice and easy for people to check it out and um listen to the final thing uh, and it's uh, no pressure here carl but i have to tell you in the uh the conversation that i've had so far on this podcast my next question normally yields the most exciting most illuminating responses of all of the possible things we ever talk about when when we spoke a little while ago about you coming on the podcast um, <laughs> is there anything that you would like to share like to, to share to this given it's the rapid change matters podcast but that i just haven't asked directly
1: i think I think what I'd like—I think I've mentioned it already. I think my my, my point is in, in hypnosis and hypnotherapy at the moment is about education. A lot of people think I sell, sell, sell. I don't. I'm actually giving away a lot, lot for free. I think um, I think what I want to see people do more is educate the masses on what we do you know this whole oh so so, so yes we, we've got a thriving business and yes we are dealing with teaching people but on the same token it's education we're not looking for uh, technically therapists anymore to train i'm looking for new people to bring through and educate what we can do and i think education is the mass thing here i think the big thing that i want to share with listeners is is, is to is if you are looking for the next course to go fill a void it should be a business course or go find out how to use your social media properly
0: cool i think that's really really sound advice indeed well listen carl I've, I've really enjoyed today uh and chatting and getting to know you a little bit as well over the course of these uh, these conversations so um thank you thank you thank you thank you and uh yeah i hope the listeners have enjoyed it as much as i have
1: no thank you and thank you to the listeners and um you know if i can be of any help my phone's always on and um you know i'm, I'm like that I, I don't mind helping people out as long as it's for the greater good the greater good for the industry the profession
0: absolutely absolutely I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change matters hyphen podcast. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.